Hello and welcome to season two of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. Interviewing powerful people is easy, but that's not the mouthwash way. Instead, we're exploring the less obvious elements of power this season. Uh, what's really driving the world? Who's working behind the scenes to keep the wheels on? Who's messing things up? What's hard and soft power during a pandemic? Who's got power? Who wants it? How do you get it? We're exploring it all. Joining me every episode is a smart cookie of my choosing, and today's cookie is none other than Simon Andrews. In the flesh, no less. This is our first live, in the same room, uh, mouthwash. Simon writes Fix, uh, which covers all the big platforms, how they make the money, who's making the money, who's making the mistakes they make, and where it's all going. I urge you to subscribe. Welcome to the show, Simon. How are you doing? I'm great, Paul. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. Okay, before I chat with Simon, let's talk about where we are and how you get involved. Twitter Spaces is still a beta product from Twitter, so let's explore it a bit. On the mobile app, the top bit is called The Nest, where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you see are right up there at the moment, which I'll put up in two secs. Um, it's pretty handy and a unique feature to uh, Twitter Spaces. Um, you can see all your faces and the speakers are at the top. Spaces allow for 11 speakers at one time, including the host, so you can still have a really good chat with with multiple voices, but you don't get a free-for-all uh, and you can keep control. Um, you can request the mic at any time in any space just by clicking the mic in the bottom left, although Mouthwash is more of a show format, so we actually take questions via the hashtag Mouthwash Show. Uh, if you want, you can click it in the title. It's the blue bit at the top, uh, and that'll save you some uh, clicking around as well. So if you look at the bottom right of your phone screen, you'll see some icons, some dots, some people, some hearts, etc. The dots are where all the settings are, so you can turn on captions and other accessibility features, which are super handy as well. Um, right, okay, it's time to share out the space. Please join me and click the icon on the right, the staple with the arrow pointing up. Uh, click and share a tweet. Uh, share via tweet, and you will actually uh, do that in the same time that I'm doing it as well. Uh, you can pop anything you want in there, but if you just want to say live now or anything like that, that would help uh, no end. Um, but it's a good reason not just to do it altruistically, because actually we've partnered with um, some very smart people over at Ecology.com who help uh, us to offset carbon footprints easy. So we're planting a tree for everyone that we get in the live spaces. You can find out more at ecology.com, that's E-C-O-L-O-G-I.com. Whether that's personal or for business, Elliot and the team over there are great partners and I've worked with them for TBD for years. Really, really smart stuff. Thanks also to Shell for sponsoring the show. Shell has recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business by 2050 or sooner in step with society. And you can find out more about how Shell is powering progress over at shell.com forward slash powering progress. Okay, it's time for my favourite part of the show, showering Simon in a disgusting amount of emojis. If you click the heart with a plus and begin showering him with any emoji you choose, uh, you'll uh, you'll find out more about him as I read out. Okay, so don't stop until the end. Ready, steady, go. Oh, Trace is already doing it. Right, okay, look, Simon is a North Star when it comes to navigating the big platforms and the media world as they collide, repel, and snuggle up to each other. Running addictive full-service mobile agency since 2010, Simon and the team offer everything needed to develop effective marketing campaigns that have mobile at their heart, strategy creative, app and mobile site development, and media. Currently focusing on building up his incredible newsletter fix, Simon is building a publishing empire that's fast becoming a staple read for top social media execs to VCs around the world and much more besides. Sign up for Fix Insider over at addictivelondon.com. Thank you for joining us, Simon. Thank you. Brilliant. What was the first thing you thought of today when you woke up this morning? Um, I could have been meeting people in real life. Which is still, you know, a novelty, isn't it? I think it is. It is. It's fast becoming sort of one of those, like, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do we? How, how do we? Yeah, yeah. 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 
have changed in mass or not? Yes, certainly in London it's been a very different week, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, generally, how have the last 18 months been for you? Um, everyone's fitting well, so pleased from there. It's been interesting to watch how everyone's adjusted to you know, different ways of living mm -hmm. and got on with it, and I've, you know, different routines, etc. Um, I think you know, it's interesting to look at the world from a business sense. You know, things have accelerated and changed profoundly, which is you know, good fuel for fix and the things that we look at from there. Um, but you know, the, everyone in the world now knows it can turn to shit in two weeks, which is something we didn't know about before. Absolutely, absolutely. But hopefully we'll do it again. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we can we can always hope those things, can't we? So um, today, you and I are going to talk about the very fun subject of big tech, I think. Um, if anyone has a question as well, just use the uh, hashtag mouthwash show. And uh, I will be looking at those throughout. But it's also in the nest if you want a reminder as well. Um, so where to start? Uh, maybe with the misery machine that boasts 1.7 billion users. Um, Facebook is a huge force for good. Uh, and according to President Biden, a bunch of murderers, although he did walk that back. Uh, recently. Um, now that does seem a little strong, but then Myanmar, anti-vac info, disinformation, misinformation, there's a case to say that Facebook needs a timeout on the naughty step, right? Um, what's your take? Is Facebook re just a really good ad business or do they have a part to play in fixing the world that they aren't taking seriously enough? So yes, yes and yes. Um, it's an amazing ad business. We're going through some problems right now, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on. Um, but one of the issues is, is trying to work out, well, what is Facebook? You know, if I ring someone up on, you know, BT or O2 and say something that's, you know, racist or whatever, that's my problem. It's not the O2's problem. It's not, you know, so does Facebook need to actually be in charge of that type of things from there? Having said that, why is there a banana emoji? Why is there um, a monkey emoji? If you took those away, you could solve lots of problems. So, there's things that could be done to mitigate this. Mm. Um, and no one thinks it's easy. No one believes they're not trying to do it, but they just need to try a bit harder. Mm. Um, how much power, um, or maybe your responsibility is a better word, do you think the advertisers have to get Facebook to change things like misinformation or a banana emoji? It's interesting. If you look at the, you know, the shape of um, the Facebook business, you know, a lot comes from mom and pop stores you know, on the platform adding £500,000 a time from there. So whilst P&Gs and Unilevers and Shells are very important to Facebook, they don't have the power they do with traditional media where they were you know, 50, 60, 70% of the revenue. They're a small percentage now. So I think they can make protests. They can you know, make their voices heard. They've done some of that. They could probably do more. Um, does Facebook pay attention to those? Yes, they do. But they don't allow them to dictate what happened on the platform, really. They went um, through a period, didn't they? Like, I can't remember, it was probably two years ago now, where somebody big said, I'm yanking all my money from you and that sort of stuff. That, I think, has been reversed since and that sort of thing. Do you think those sorts of big uh, statements are what's necessary en masse for them to change? Or do you think it's going to take something from the inside? I think there's big things outside that can't really work because not everyone does. Last time around, people didn't do that. They all slumped back and started spending again, I think, before too long. From there, it needs something internally to, to change mm. to really make a difference from there. But that's you know one of the interesting things. If you look at, you know, we all talk about Gap, but Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon as sort of one group. There's been regime change in all those other companies. Sadly, you know, Tim Cook took over because the power behind Apple died. You know, you've got a new regime because you know the guys at Google decided they didn't want to keep running the business. Jeff Bezos has left now to go be a spaceman and a Hollywood mogul. Mm -hmm. 
at some point is re regime change at Facebook and does that you know herald the changes you want to see mm. but that doesn't look like it's imminent it certainly doesn't not with Mark at the helm that's for sure um, let's talk about brand safety um, it's been banded about for years um, but isn't it social responsibility that brands should be worried about these days I think I'll show how down. When I started advertising, we had a lovely little lady whose job was to look at voucher copies. So she'd get the invoices in and she'd come and show me, here's your ad in the Hickman White Herald. It's on page eight rather than page nine. I thought you wanted to write on page. But every time you run an ad, you could see where it was. Yeah. Or on television, you could watch the program, look at it. The problem we have with digital is you place ads, you have no idea where they appear. Mm -hmm. You know, the postage stamp mobile banner at the bottom of the page, you don't know what's on that page. Um, in Facebook, you're next to someone's you know, birthday message, but you're also next to the group that that person's joined, which might have hateful content from there. Yeah. So it, it complicates things because people don't know where things are going, and it's impossible to have that control and that, that sort of um, be that finance about where things are going from there. But you have to recognize if you're talking to, if I'm talking to Paul, you know, the content on his page is what Paul has chosen to have on that page. So is it Shell's or Coke's responsibility and what's there, how can you please that really? Mm. I think it's a tricky question. You've seen the platforms have got better at removing the really bad content and quicker at removing it so it doesn't stay for, for as long there. Mm. Um, I think brands can, you know, can advocate for that to be done quicker and better. Yeah. I think I can't, I can't remember if it was Facebook or somebody else, but they came out swinging this week, didn't they? Saying that they've removed X many million or billion uh, bits of content, and it kind of just shows like, well, there's lots of content on your platform that's really bad, and yes, you've taken it off, but actually, that means that it's getting on there in the first place. Maybe you fixed it at the wrong place along the sort of way. What are you doing about that? And we haven't heard a response yet. As always, it seems to be with Facebook, we'll get you that answer, but we haven't told you a date, you know, that sort of thing. Um, is, is Facebook just destined to be a punching bag forever because of their size, or do you think it goes deeper than that? I think their size and you know the way that people can post you know pretty much whatever they want on that platform makes it continue a punching bag. Mm -hmm. Because of back to the phone thing, you can't stop people. You know, Nazis are on there like everybody else. You know, everyone finds their tribe on the internet. Nazis are on there as well, and you know they're making phone calls, they're sending telegrams. Facebook is a bit that's a visible part of, the, of that iceberg. Yeah. Um, you know, it's tough to control that. You know, and some of the privacy things that are coming down the, the line will make it even harder to control some of that as well. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got a bit of a perfect storm here where you know, we'd like them to do better, but the tools they need to do better counteract you know, the privacy which we don't want them to breach as well. Yeah. So it's a, there's no, if there's an easy answer, it would have been solved by now. Yeah. I remember um, during my, my days at MySpace when we were talking with the child protection um, mm. group and that sort of thing, and they were we were having very, not fundamental, but very sort of big arguments, lofty arguments about is it better to see where those people are and sort of keep them in a pen so that, for example, nobody would ever see their content, yes. you know, and we would, we would know when yeah. the, the right time to go in and sort of uh, call the police was. Facebook, obviously, much larger, that sort of thing. You can only imagine that they have exponential issues in that sort of realm. But do you think that's the appropriate sort of strategy, or do you think that's not really workable anymore with their size? I remember I had a friend who worked with Microsoft in the early 2000s, and Microsoft used lots of pages. You can have a Microsoft page with your content, lots of people used it from there. And he went off to, to investigate this worry about you know child abuse or whatever and he met with everybody involved in it, the government police and he went back to microsoft says look you know 
we have to close down because one day something terrible will happen mm. because of this platform. And if we allow it to happen, you know, we'll be associated with it. And they closed all their content down. I think anybody who has any sort of content now runs that risk that yeah. you know the bad people turn up and sit in the corners and hide in the corners. Um, and all you can do is just work as hard as you can to try and you know, shine a light and then get rid of it. So yeah. that is there. Um, but you know, one of the things, you know, these people join institutions that have careers that allow them to get access to children. Yeah, you know, mm. they, they try very hard. Nazis, you know, like to tell, you know, spread their story and recruit people. Yeah, you know, these people work very hard at it, and they will use whatever platform they can. Mm. Blaming the platform feels like that's not really the answer. Obviously, you like to do more, but it's not their fault. But I, so I take umbrage with that because you. Same when I worked at MySpace. We yeah. made that platform, right? Yeah. Not me personally, but Tom and everyone yeah. made the platform and they had the algorithm and that's the thing. Facebook since then has had decades extra to work on algorithms and that sort yeah. of thing. And if you've made something that then has a bad outcome, I think you're responsible for that. Now, if somebody grabbed a gun because they saw something on Facebook, now that's a different story, right? Yeah. There's, there's yeah. Yeah. But the fact is that you've put misinformation out or allowed misinformation to go out there and that sort of thing and you haven't necessarily taken the biggest steps to put big warning signs red going this is actually not true don't trust it oh my god you know which they don't they put tiny little very light uh, colored warnings on things i think they've got absolutely some to it bang to rights you should there should be someone finding the living crap out of you so that you actually fix this problem you could be doing a lot more i think and you can do a lot more. We've got to be careful. What, what power, you know, so anti-vaccine, you know, to me, you makes no sense at all. I mean, sharing that stuff is, is talking nonsense. But if you've got, you know, a cousin who is sort of saying, well, I'm not going to do it for these reasons, where does Facebook say, do they have to actually put a sign on that? Is it, you know, how many people they reach? If it's only got going to five people rather than 500 people, mm. where do you draw those lines? And it's, you know, right now, something, yeah, we all agree about anti-vaccine. If it's about... Pretty Patel and people, both people coming across, you know, oh, that shouldn't be allowed. Do we allow people to disagree with that on Facebook mm. or not? Who, is it Facebook's job? Is it a 35 year old Southern Californian bro, you know, and products uh, management at Facebook? Is it his job to work out what's allowable and what's not allowable from there? I don't know. I, I don't think it's Mark's purview on the world because I think yes. that would be a very dangerous world for us to live in. Yeah. But I do think that. There are smart people in the world who know that, do you know what, that is factually incorrect. You know, yes. you have shared something that is a lie or factually incorrect. Therefore, it is it is our job not yes. to spread that in the world. You know, we are a tool. Do you know what? If you want to pay for us to overdo that, that's fine. But we're going to donate that all to the actual opposite cause of what you're doing. Because we believe as a company in these things. I don't need Facebook to be transparent. And that's the thing. I need Facebook to fix the world that is yeah. absolutely making rotten to the core. I, that's my own personal. I, and I agree, but you know, Comcast should not show Fox News then because Tucker Carlson is, you know, spouting hate all the time. Should Sky carry um, GB News, which is, you know, Nigel Farage, you know. But you've got personal preference whether you want to watch that, you know, and you've got personal preference whether you want to use Facebook, but actually when people are paying to go into your feed, you don't have any real purview on that. But I can choose not to watch Fox. That's, yeah. the, that's the difference I see. Yes. I could be shown Confederate flag after Confederate flag. But I can block my idiot cousin who shows me Confederate flags. Mm. I can, you know, leave that Facebook group that shows me Confederate flags. And, you know, it would revert back to, you know, here's some news stories, you know, that are generally well considered. Mm. And, you know, it's birthday 
um, wishes as well. So I think that there's, you know, there's two sides. What I choose as a punter on Facebook to actually to try to fill my feed and what's there just because you know, I'm on the platform. Mm. I think that the bad stuff tends to come from, you know, you've joined some Nazi group, you've got Nazi shit there, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I could talk about Facebook all day. Right. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the other acronyms that we're going to talk about. Letters. Um, so let's talk about Apple, um, and it, it flows into it. So we're talking about um, bang it. They're, they're banging the privacy drum hard, right? They've just won the mini battle in China with the um, China Advertiser yeah. ID, um, but it's all posturing, right? So they can control everything on one device that feeds you back into an ecosystem. Is that fair, or is that just me being cynical? Well, I guess it's interesting. When we first started talking about these four companies, they're relatively minor companies. You know, we're interested from an advertising point of view. They've become the most powerful companies in the world. The richest companies in the world are Apple, Facebook, um, Amazon, Google. You know, so advertising, you know, lends on these things, gets you into difficult areas we've just been talking about. Apple's really interesting because I think they've decided that to change their business model um, and use privacy as a, you know, as a tool to sell more of their devices. But the fact it cripples Facebook and cripples Google, yeah, and mm. um, and the, if you look at the Apple, if I if you go down, click through the settings, work to the advertising and the tracking, the Apple's still going to track you in the same way that you know the Bannon and Rossman doing this, but for in a slightly you know, for different purposes. I think that Apple at some point end up with an advertising platform of their own, which would be hugely cynical if they've done all this just to allow them to sell advertising yeah. and make some money from that. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that would be hugely cynical to assume that's what they're going for. But they're, but they're a business. You know, like all of these companies are. They're there to make money and please their shareholders and that sort of thing. All I am, or, or let me put that to you. What do you, how do we get them to change in order to not just make boatloads of money and just those, what, 50 people, 500, I don't know how many stakeholders they have. And how do we get them to fix some of the problems? Because that's a real problem. That we have we can't clearly we're not all not using these tools they are yeah. very useful for to run our daily lives and that sort of stuff and increasingly they're creating apps which you cannot break up and that's sort of thing for various reasons which we'll talk about but when you think about though how that sort of works on a day-to-day -day basis should we as um, individuals have the option to turn everything off um you can go by the other phones are available um, <laughs> but you know they've had a remarkable run that you know, people they you know, sell a fashion item that hasn't never gone out of fashion, mm. and it's at top of the price range, and they continue to do that. There's no signs of that cracking from there, and the privacy seems to you know build on that. So I can enjoy all my entertainment, all my content with you know less annoying advertising, and no one tracking me from there. So they're putting themselves into a nice place. I think the weak spot for Apple is China yeah. because they're made there. You know what's going on with Chinese and you know repression of um, you know certain people within that regime, you know, that at some point becomes an issue for Apple. And they're yeah. dodging around that quite carefully because they've managed to actually be quite nimble in the West and avoid getting caught up in too many conversations about what's happening in China itself. Mm. I always remember there was one story, and I still probably I can't remember the, um, the people who were apps like who made that decision, but I remember instinctly the story. When I read it, I went, they've done what? So Foxconn, who made yeah. the chips and everything like that, they they figured out that actually their factories and their lives and of these people aren't aren't super great and a lot of them were committing suicide by jumping off the building. So instead of fixing that issue, they just put nets around the building. Yes. And I kind of just feel like, do you know what? Um, do you know what? Apple, 
you should break ties with those company, those com- that, that, that company for that one decision alone. That just so fundamentally tells me that they are not a company that you really want to be doing business with. And that's why I think they're starting to do their chips so that they have more of that power and they can manoeuvre a little bit quickly. Do you think that's fair to say? Or I, uh, you know, the big thing with Trump was they're going to start making iPhones in California again. You know, whether that happens is what you think. They're rethinking that sort of um, supply chain issue. Mm. Um, you know, you can, is that for good reasons or bad reasons? Does it really matter? You know, they're changing things from there. I think it's just so they've got more control over their own supply chain. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately it, right? So they don't have to rely or get shafted by other people. Or Well, one of the big things, interesting things that's, um, you know, a big source of um, semiconductor chips is Taiwan, which is, you know, having some issues with drought, which is causing some problems from there. But also Taiwan is vulnerable if China was to flex its muscles and do something, you know, to resolve their sort of... Um, geopolitical thinking over there. Mm. So it's just a case of actually, how do we better protect our business? Let's have it in the States, which is a bit safe than having it in Taiwan. Mm. So the, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's macro issues you know, are decided on and you know, the ramifications sort of filter down in unexpected ways sometimes. Mm. Um, do you think Apple's just pushing people to line the pockets of Google because cookies still work at the moment? Well, cookies work for a while. You know, what is it, three years, they're saying? 2022. It's about 18 more months. 18 more months. Longer than now. Um, Can you explain, so in case people don't know, what the decision about cookies is for Google? Okay. So basically, cookies is a way of tracking somebody. Um, so I observe Paul doing something. I put a cookie on there that sort of marks. I saw Paul went to the FT. Um, and that's a useful bit of information from there. Apple in um, Safari stopped that working on the web maybe 18 months, two years ago. Um, they've done similar things with um, their apps right now. Google have announced they're going to stop that third-party cookies working as well, but they've put it off until 2023 because they haven't worked out what the alternative is yet. And if you take away third-party cookies, a lot of the plumbing that drives advertising now and makes you know billions of dollars is fragile and may not be able to continue or will continue a different way from there. So I think that Google are trying to work out what they have to do from there. Apple's setting the weather, and everyone's realized we have to play to privacy. And even Google now will talk about privacy more in you know, the CEO speeches from yeah. there. At some point, we end up you know, without cookies in a better place because we don't have a stupid advertising that Paul looks at the FTA and following around the internet, showing him things he's looked at already, retargeting, because one person in 10,000 will actually go and buy there. We're going to you know, have to get to a smarter system where we actually use some thinking and use some smarts to work out how to serve people better ads than they've been from there. Mm. But the economics of it are pretty profound. And we mentioned Facebook. Because lots of people are opting out of tracking within Facebook, when the prompt comes on your update on Apple, from iOS 14.6, um, it means if you're advertising on Facebook, like lots of D2C brands, it just doesn't work as well as it did do. Mm. I was talking to somebody who's super guy, runs a lovely business, makes a good living selling nice shirts or whatever, and suddenly his business is ground to a halt because what was working in May doesn't work in June. Wow. Um, and, you know, suddenly, okay, my business, it's like someone's closed your shop or parked a van outside the shop and you can't see the shop windows. You know, there's a problem there. And whilst I'm trying to work out, well, what is going to, you know, solve that problem, and mm-hmm. Facebook trying to do that, in the meantime, people are suffering. You know, advertisers are struggling to actually meet their objectives. Mm. So... Where does that end then? What what's what do you do? You have any insight on where Google's head's going at the moment? Because they seem to have something without an answer to where it's going. Or do you think they just haven't released it yet? Google have got this idea about cohorts, and they've got this strange um, uh, language around 
burst turtle dove and flocks, etc., from there. But basically, putting people into groups of people. So rather than Paul, you're this type of person. It's more, Paul, you're one of the 5,000 people we think likes an SUV or just think about a whole day in the Mediterranean or is like to buy a you know, cat boot. It's, you know, to big groups of people, which is what advertising has always worked on. And advertising really want big groups of people. Mm. So they're trying to design a way of doing that. Most of that would happen on your phone. So the privacy is dealt with because, you know, the profiling stays on your device rather than in the network from there. So it feels like it's got some things going for it. It isn't just trying to actually copy what tracking does right now by another means like fingerprinting, universal ID from there. So it feels like it's quite interesting. It has two problems. One, it's not fully formed yet, so it needs to be worked through. Two, it's from Google. So a bunch of people will dislike that because it's from Google. That's from Google yeah. But if we don't get someone like Google to you know, give us something that's industry-wide, we end up with a balkanized state with a million different bits of tracking, none of which really add up. Nothing will work together. Nothing yeah. works together. And right now, people are concerned that my Google data doesn't really match my Facebook data, doesn't match my Amazon data. When you've got that time to 20 or 50 or 100, it starts to become problems. So we yeah. need something to come through that you know, preserves people's privacy, but shows them ads for things that are interesting. People like ads for things that you're interested in. Mm. You don't like ads for things that are irrelevant. Is there any cons- so AI has a consortium where they're all meant to get into a room together and be like, we're going to be good people with AI. Yes. Here's everything we're sharing and that's thing. Anyway, it hasn't happened yet. Um, do they do the same with cookies and things like that? Yeah, do they the come together and make Web3, W3C, which is Web3 Consortium, which used to be a sort of geeky thing that talks about little things in browsers. That's turned into a sort of a big debate because loads of people have shown up from ad tech. Mm. You wish not allow this. So those people don't want Google to stop doing cookies, even though Apple has privacy. So you've got people, you know, there's a lot of people who like things to stay as they are right now. Yeah. And so, guys, that ain't going to happen. Would that be know? the media agencies? That would be... <laughs> People of that ill, yeah. Where do, uh, so what, w, what is it, W3, W3C? Yeah. W3C. How much power do they actually have? Is it just a badging exercise? Like, who actually decides what change is happening with the cookie world? They've got a lot of power in terms of they used to drive all the thinking. And once everybody adopts it, it would happen. Right. So basically, they drove it but by consensus. They're not really designed for conflict and lots of people arguing. So, you know, we're in that situation, a lot of people putting forward different points of view. There doesn't seem to be a mechanism to get that sorted, so things are sort of stuck. Mm. And pushing the date back for 18 months sort of partly reflects that. And what happened was, you know, the day that happened, trade desk share price spike. Because so I, I can continue doing what I'm doing now, making good money for another year or so. Yeah. It's a lot of people in the short term from there. But if you're a brand, you know, short term answers are fine. You need a long term solution. Mm. And I think that, you know, We've got a lot of pressure still trying to work out, well, what do we do that gets us to a better advertising model that works for everybody, from Google to Unilever to you, know, you and me? Um, there's a way to go yet. Do you think it also came as a sort of response to where Amazon's moving with their ad platforms because they're chunking out? Of, I mean, everyone's going after Google share, but Amazon seems to be quite effective at it at the moment. Amazon, we do some work at the moment. The thing that's most valuable in advertising is intent. Mm-hmm. So Google has intent because you type them into the search engine. Oh, so you're interested in doing that. Amazon has intent because you know, you're searching for a product on Amazon from there. Your retailers have you know, intent. If you're on Tesco or Walmart or H&M site, you're there for a reason from there. So intent's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Faith, Amazon quietly built an advertising business, which is like a juggernaut. Grew 77%, I think, in first quarter. Um, long way still to go, lots of potential for them. Yeah. But suddenly, advertising is close to the point of purchase. And the thing that Amazon have, the Amazon advantage they have, is they can sell advertising against great targeting, but they have attribution. They know, here's Paul, we show him an ad on the 1st of July for a pair of shorts. 
And guess what? Three weeks later, you bought some. Mm. That is the most powerful attribution you can get. People will pay more money knowing that it works rather than it doesn't work. So they've got a lot of advantages um, and coming like a steamroller. So everyone's trying to work out, well, how do we actually, you know, get close to the point of um, purchase? So Facebook, you've got Facebook um, Shop and Instagram. Google's pushing Google Shopping very hard. How do you get from PayPal to do that? So we're trying to get close to that transaction because taking 5% of the price of a pair of shorts is better than taking just, you know, the cost per thousand of the ad to show them. Mm. And in fact, you can get both of those, you could say. Right. Um, so speaking of Amazon, um, what's intriguing you most about them at the moment? So the thing that Amazon is really interesting, I think, is where they are in new TV. Yeah. So if you want to watch um, you know, a streaming service, you need a device on which to do that. So you've got your smart TV, you've got an Amazon Fire Stick, you've got a Roku stick in the States, you've got Google Chromecast, essentially, that allow you to access those. What Apple, Amazon has been doing is you know, taking a commission. So if you buy Hulu or Comcast or Peacock or, you know, through the Amazon service, they take a commission for finding you as a customer. Yeah. But what they also ask for is 20 to 30% of the advertising inventory to sell for you. So if they've gone through all these deals from Disney all the way down, we think that they've acquired 20 to 25-30% of the inventory of all these streaming services. So as eyeballs move to streaming, which we've seen, as advertising moves to streaming, which we think will happen because subscriptions only have a certain amount of traction, you know, advertiser-funded program will come to the fore from that. Amazon's going to emerge as a very big player in new TV as well. Mm. So they've got loads of display stuff which they do on the site, owned and operated. They're going to be a huge player in the future of television. And you know, when billions of dollars move from linear TV to streaming and AVOD TV, Amazon can take a huge share of that mm. because they've got the inventory, lots of it, and they've got that attribution model as well. Yeah, every week I um, when I'm writing, what did Amazon do this week? It seems to be larger and larger on the content section yes. and that sort of stuff. Even if it's, um, I mean, they've got no no end of problems with the Lord of the Rings thing, which I think is going to absolutely die on its ass when it comes out. But anyway, <laughs> but um, it, it does seem to be that they are thinking differently about how they do deals with sport, for example, yes. that sort of thing as well. But interesting sort of thing. I mean, they have had a bumper pandemic, um, not without issue. Um, I think the kind, uh, I like to call them the smiling cardboard assassins and that sort of stuff. But ad-wise, they are doing very well at the moment, aren't they? They seem to be taking a lot sort of lion's share. Do you think Facebook and Google should be worried? Um, they don't They don't have a lot of visibility into Amazon, do they? No, you can't really see what's happening. One of the things that, um, the whole thing about Flock, about Google and Flock, and one of the stories that came out, Amazon won't participate in Flock. Well, Amazon never really shared the data, any way of looking at the data that they're using. So they're not going to join a Google scheme that allows people to look at the data on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon are the people who stripped out of your confirmation email the product you bought <laughs> because they worry that Google can read that in Gmail and say, oh, Paul bought this, Simon bought this. Right. So when you get a confirmation email, your product sale has been completed. It will be sent off from there. It doesn't mention the name of the book or the package you bought from there. Right. So if you get to that degree care to stop someone finding out what you're selling, you're not going to allow them to look at the data part of that as well. Yeah. Um, how much of a threat is um, Amazon to their bottom line, Google's, in, in the ad arena? I think they're a significant threat to everybody because they've got that intent mm. and that attribution. So there's two things. One is what people are looking for. So a third of all searches, product searches now start on Amazon because no point typing to Google because it's going to bring you to Amazon straight away. You go straight to Amazon. So that's a loss for Google or a threat from Google's point of view. 
Once you're in there, again, you know, I, they can do the attribution. So it becomes easy to charge more money because your ad's working harder. I'm buying it on Google. Is it working or not? Well, I'll pay a dollar because I think it's working. On Amazon, I can see it's working, so I can afford to pay £1.50 or £2 based on the um, cost of sale, mm -hmm. the output from there. So it changes the economics slightly a little bit from there. Mm. Um, I'm fascinated by their play into healthcare. I think it's interesting from a data perspective, if nothing else. You know, just the life sort of cycle of what they yeah. know about us and predict and inter you know, infer and all of that sort of thing. Um, do you th I haven't read it yet, I really need to, but could the argument be made that they now know more about us than Google? Quite possibly. If you look at, for all the talk about the data, if you go onto the platforms, you can actually, if you see all the Google ads, you can click there and sort of buy this ad, and it'll tell you what data Google has on you and Facebook will have on you. Yeah. And when you look at that, these guys aren't so smart. They're not paying you know, attention, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to worry just yet. Mm. Um, so they're, they're taking influence. So, you know, I'm a big fan of black music. I've got every genre, bought it, love it, you know, read loads about it. But Google had me as a fan of reggaeton. And it's a one area music that I don't think I've got one reggaeton music or like very much. So they don't be right. Of course, Amazon know much better because they know what I've actually bought. Oh, yeah. So you go from intent, oh, I was interested in that, but that was just you know, five minutes on Google to actually you spend $10, $100, $1,000 on this item from there. Yeah. So they are a real threat. Um, and they take the money from the transaction too. Mm. So again, Google take the cost per thousand, which is fantastic, but Amazon is probably getting a higher cost per thousand, and Amazon take a commission on the sale as well from there. So the economics are different and to Amazon's advantage. Mm. Um, Amazon's pushing shopping hard all over the world. Amazon Go, Amazon Fresh, yeah. their own brands. Um, they have a big partnership with Morrison's in the UK. Do you think that's just a partnership, or do you think they're using it to learn what works and service demand before they buy them or another chain? So I'm fascinated by this because I think the grocery is the big piece of the pie that you know, Amazon hasn't got to yet. It's yeah. a huge amount of money, huge amount of e-commerce because of the pandemic, people getting delivered from there. Um, a C-level exec from um, Tesco has just joined Amazon, yeah. goes on the board there in January. If you think about it, all probably most of the UK supermarkets are up for sale. So Morrison's is the subject of bidding between some private equity companies. Yeah. Asda's just been sold to two guys who used from petrol stations. Um, Sainsbury's was going to merge with Asda, so obviously it's up for sale from there. Um, and Tesco, you know, is the biggest player. Would someone want to buy some of those? I think probably they would do. If private equity firm can see Morrison's is worth that amount of money, how much is it worth to Amazon, who've got this really close integration with them? Amazon, it, sorry, Morrison's is different to most of the markets. It's very vertically integrated. The supply chain is very detailed. Yeah. So you it's get quite northern as well. Good northern. Ken Morrison from Bradford. Yeah. So it's a beautiful business. It's run really well. They've got good technology. They invested in their all their technology only about three or four years ago. It's a very nice business. Will Amazon let it go to somebody else mm. and have to start all over again? Or will they say they put a bid in? But actually, if you're going to buy a supermarket, you might not buy Tesco, which is twice the size. Because it's twice as expensive. <laughs> yeah, but you just 
come to the moon and back. You know, Amazon aren't short of well, cash. Well, Jeff, Jeff did. Amazon haven't. Yeah, okay. He's going to do that. Yeah. Amazon aren't short of cash. He's doing it now, isn't he? I think it's right yeah. now. Um, I, I think there'll be something that it's hard to work out. I think a Morrison bid would make some sense. Mm. But once you've got that, you're going to grow it quite aggressively. Yeah. It'll take you a long time to get the size of Tesco. You just go and buy Tesco. Yeah. The one thing I always think about why they um, got into bed with Morrisons is because the way that they are situated in the north makes it very easy for them to just strip out all of those food markets and just use them as distribution hubs. That's my that's my theory anyway, but who knows? North's not quite that grim. <laughs> no, but they do want the Amazon yes. products. They're huge, huge buyers but because they don't have the, the um, infrastructure for but it. But that's where Sainsbury's advantage is. Sainsbury's have all the Argus stores, which would be really great collection points as well from there. So you can sit, someone sat there with a calculator at Amazon trying to work out <laughs> Which one do we buy? Yeah. We've got more money. We'll they, more. they will move into that space at some point. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, all right. They're in trouble with multiple bodies for monopolistic behaviour, among other things. Um, new CEO Andy Jassy now has the reins. He's inherited uh, Amazon, I think it's safe to say, during an interesting period, an upcoming period. Um, where do you think they'll be in a year? Bigger and better. I think, you know, the trajectory is there. You know, they've got things like healthcare, like grocery, major areas they can move into um, and made all the baby steps like television. You know, they just keep on pushing into those things. Mm. It works like clockwork. Yeah, Amazon yeah. has its faults, and people complain about it. Still come back to Amazon. Mm. Yeah, you could argue that the experience of shopping on there is a pain compared to what it used to be. Trying to find some things and you know, working out what's a good thing to buy. The whole thing about reviews and stuff like that—it sort of like clouds it and pollutes it a little bit from there. But no one else comes close. Mm. You know, you start from Amazon, and if you have what you want, you might go somewhere else. And there's very few brands I think that compete with them. So I think just bigger and better. I think Jeff Bezos has not, you know, walked away to let someone change what's going on from there. He's just left someone a safe pair of hands to keep running it in the direction he said. Hundred percent. I mean, he's been there literally as long as Jeff has. Yeah. So how they would think very differently, I'd yet to find out. Um, right. You you want to talk about TV? So let's um, keep on that for a sec. So Netflix, um, they've hired ex Facebook and um, Electronic Arts exec Mike Verdu as VP of Game Development. Um, Netflix is obviously planning to offer games as a new programming genre within the next year. What's all that about? Why do they need games? Well, I think Netflix is a remarkable business in that, you know, it controls the culture. You know, they drive the culture. You know, the show's huge. When people talk about what they're on television, it's all Netflix things now. Yeah. All of the other guys in streaming, you know, are nowhere close. So Disney did a good start, but it sort of faltered from there. You have to have Netflix. Mm. You probably have to have Amazon Prime because you've got Amazon Prime. You don't have Amazon Prime for the video, but it's a nice addition to have there. But, you, you know, if you're interested in culture you have to have Netflix they complete, compete with sleep I think was a quote from Ted Sarenson so you have to work out what else could you do on that big screen mm. games feels part of that um, your games is a huge industry in itself it sits there slightly separate from um, film but if you spend time looking at you know, the epic um, the way that they render games now Lots of people haven't looked at games since they saw PlayStation 2 or something like that. It's a bit pixelated. You go look at it now and it's sort of like, wow, yeah. that looks like real life. So who merges movies and games and finds a way of doing that? You know, Tencent, you know, Epic, all that. I think Netflix wants to participate in that world, knowing they've got the screen mm. and access to people in that way from there. Um, yeah, but it's hard to make games. You know, to create good IP takes a long time. You know, they've hired a guy... Tencent have just bought a Sheffield um, game studio for half a billion dollars. You know, so there's a way to go to playing games properly. 
but Netflix, I think, have made the first move. Is it a money grab or an attention grab, do you think? Or does one follow the other? Well, it doesn't really cost me any money. I think it's an attention grab, but you need to put some money in there as well. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people are going to sort of pay more for Netflix just to of games. Mm. But everyone's moving to cloud gaming and the idea that rather than paying 60 quid when the new um, uh, Evil Death 2 or whatever it comes out. <laughs> that popular game, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a big a gamer, are we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, um, moving to streaming gaming. So Apple trying that. So for 10 quid a month, I can access all those games I want from that. Right. That feels like the world where Netflix would play a part in. So they're moving than, to more of a bundle. I think so, yeah. But you need to fill that with content. Yeah. And they're going to do content deals, but they haven't done content deals with the studios yet. So there's some interesting steps to be taken. Yeah. You know, who's on that guy's phone? This would be quite interesting. You think 10 cents is pretty quite high yeah. up on that list. I'm always surprised Netflix haven't gotten into food quicker. Like even just can someone just throw popcorn through a window at four or something <laughs> like that. That, that? that always makes me go uh, like you've missed tricks there. Um, so you talked about how you're quite bullish on them a second ago. That's the thing. I, I could I think we could make an argument and say that Netflix are in trouble. Um, they're looking at their sort of slowing subscriber base and that sort of stuff. Do you think they have the power um, still, or are too many players in the space and now everyone's got to play with everyone? And Amazon's buying MGM maybe and all of that. Well, I think it's probably never been better time to be talent in you know moving TV because more projects have been made. Yeah. It's interesting you know the, the hoovering up shows from you know less traditional markets. So, France, four or five you know, big shows from France we've been watching, yeah. you know, Italy, different parts of the world, etc. from there. So they're having to go further to find content, but they know how to do that really well, and they know when they acquire a show they can make it really famous because they've got the sort of power of the PR machine and the, yeah. just the interface and the reach from there. So it's hard to see why someone would stop them. Can they keep growing? Well, not in the Western markets because they're pretty much you know, topped out. There's you know, space in other markets at different price points. India, etc. from there. Mm. The problem with any of these businesses, you know, Netflix is a share that's put up there with Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon, even though they're a you know, slightly one-trick pony compared to the other ones yeah. from there. You know, I think their business is, is pretty safe. They've got a huge customer base. They can keep pushing the price up a little bit from their really good content. Will they keep growing enough to satisfy that share price and 25-30% growth each quarter? Probably not. Mm. But they're a very healthy business. And, you know, adding in games to fuel growth, I think they're probably safe for a while. Disney is a fantastic business to compete with them um, and has all that IP and, you know, but they've not quite topped out. Their growth is sort of slow. If you want to be in Disney, you've bought Disney. Yeah. If you haven't bought Disney now, you probably haven't got kids that want to watch Frozen or you're not that bothered about Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, where do they get, they've got to find other stuff to give people a reason to actually buy, yeah. from, buy them. I mean, they have a huge repository of content yes. because they whipped it all away from Netflix which I think kind of it come, it's like which fiefdom do you want to be in and if it's not on Netflix one month it'll be on Amazon Prime the other it feels like a um, yeah, cyclical sort of scenario where consumers don't necessarily win all the time oh, I think that is a problem and I think that that's because they're playing a subscription game you're trying to get people to pay you every month from there mm. I think what we'll start to see is people pay for six quid for this month to watch you know the new Game of Thrones or the new Lord of the Rings and then stop paying and go somewhere else. There isn't the money in people's houses or the willingness to keep paying subscription fees. Yeah. Nothing, you know, people... So this is a country where avocado sales through supermarkets have dramatically fallen because people work out on the till. When you put your um, pay-as-you-go self-service till, 
you don't put avocado, you press the carrot button by mistake. <laughs> so this is, this is a fact. If you look at the supermarkets, they lost huge amounts of money because people do that. People find ways what? of saving money. Yeah, people aren't going to have to. That's fraud, <laughs> theft, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's an innocent mistake. It's not saving money. <laughs> but I just uh, there is an appetite to keep paying subscriptions. So I think the advertising yeah. model comes through. And then you've got that you know, really good big back catalogue. You can actually give people everything, knowing that when someone turns up to watch season two of Friends or whatever, you've got advertising in there and you make money that way, rather yeah. than $5.99 subscription. I should probably just say for the legal uh, department of mouthwash that we distance ourselves from that avocado comment. Please do not do that. I've never done my time. Support the avocado community, all right? Um, Right. Um, we have a few moments, a few minutes left, but I want to talk about China. So let's start with TikTok. Um, they are enjoying a heyday at the moment. Um, both sides of the Atlantic mainly is their, you know, core of people. Um, where do you see TikTok going, and how powerful are they? I think they're hugely powerful. I'm fascinated by TikTok. We do a thing called Good TikTok Creative, looking at brand spending on there. It's really interesting that you it's now becoming a staple for brands. The way you advertise on there is very different than someone else because you have to be part of the content and understand the grammar of the media from there. But you spend time on TikTok, and it's weird. The algorithm, you know, finds you different places. Because mm. everyone's experience is very different. So, you know, it can be quite weird. I seem to be in um, side hustle territory. Loads of people with side hustles and stuff from that. In a way, it's like, you know, it's like bad ITV on a Saturday evening. It's very general content, old jokes, bits of music, etc. from there. But they have got this, you know, ability to keep you watching. Because the algorithm is just brilliant. Keep you, well, I'll watch another one, another yeah. one from there. I, there's one strange thing. There's a thing called the Smithy family, which is a bunch of characters, oh, which yeah. is just blown up in the press in that, this last week because there's some, you know, a fire started. And you've got... A That's right, in their house, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Playing yeah. out. And I can't work out, are they real people? Is it a soap opera? Can't understand quite what's happening from there. But you realise they are shaping culture. They're yeah. Daily Mail run a story about a particular character. So I think they're huge. Um, I think they've got a lot of growth yet. As advertising vehicles are starting to take off from there. Yeah. What they do with that content is really interesting. But loads of people are making really interesting content because the best tool for making a video is probably the TikTok app because you know, what allows you to do in terms of editing is fantastic. Yeah. So you've some very clever people making very clever content. You've got a lot of crap in there as well. Mm. But again, you know, if you spend time with the good stuff, the algorithm finds you more good stuff. I'm sure if you want you know, old racist jokes, they'll find you old racist jokes as well. So it feels like it's really interesting. I think your brand safety is an issue from there. You yeah. can be against all sorts because it's not down to what I've chosen in my feed. It's actually what the algorithm has chosen. You could be next to the wrong stuff from there. Mm. But I think they've got a lot of growth to come. I think we don't quite understand it yet. And they've got a lot of space for advertisers to use them in smart ways. And what we're seeing is they're driving sales. Yeah. So Amazon will run things, features on TikTok. And they always use TikTok word. If you look at Amazon, maybe buy it. TikTok, maybe buy it. Um, hashtag it's huge audience from there. Yeah. Kantar have done brand uplift studies for brands and show propensity to buy is really good and seen sales increases. So advertising on there works really well. Mm. So I think you've got that combination of this is capitalizing people's attention and growing amount of time it's got with people's attention and you can monetize that through advertising really well. Yeah. In a sweet spot. 
I've still yet to find the non-basic uh, stream that I'm desperate to get in, but a lot of it feels <laughs> like Gogglebox to me. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I it's mass market. Them. It's mass market. Mm. Yeah, it hasn't found some cool bit transaction thing. Do you know one thing that is actually quite interesting, just from that of what we talked about earlier? I cannot drive legally in this country. Haven't driven for years. Don't talk about driving yeah. that sort of thing. But I get served ads on every platform for cars just because I have testicles, yeah. probably. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting. Um, I've never been served a car ad on TikTok. I haven't. I've seen Lamborghini advertising TikTok. Oh, everyone's a, paying to sit on a Lamborghini, yes, pretending they yes, own it. Yeah, I'm sure. That's interesting. Um, do you think the pandemic growth bubble for the TikTok is going to burst? Um, people are spending more time on it than Facebook, YouTube, and Netflix per app. Annie report. I think that you know the amount of time people have got for their mobile, you know, off the screens grew over pandemic because real life sort of got brushed out of the way. Mm. I think you know. As real life comes back, the amount of time available for these will sort of falter. I wonder whether TikTok will sort of hang on to its share better because it's fresher and newer. I know I'm going to get with Facebook. I know I'm going to get with Instagram. Mm. You know, um, and I think we have this thing. There's a sort of change going on that you know, Fortnite, YouTube, TikTok is a younger generational thing. Mm. Um, and you think they're going to hang on to that? I, I'm quite bullish about you know, cultures taking growing there, and I think they're going to be quite well. I think. The other ones may suffer as people go back to spending time on real life. Yeah. Get some and all of that. Yeah. Um, how much do you think AR has the power to change the e-commerce world? I'm very bullish about AR. I think augmented reality just feels really interesting. And you know, I've tried my Gucci shoes on and Snap, the Snap lens, etc. <laughs> Did you buy? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I'll stop buying Gucci though because I got children. Um, <laughs> But, you know, the, the makeup, the, there's something about that ability to try on which I think is really interesting. I think AR's got a lot of potential. Um, and if you talk to brands who've done it, like L'Oreal, you know, made big investments, they think it pays off. Mm. It makes a difference. If you can look at that colour on you, in your sort of you know, picture on the phone, I think there's something quite interesting there. So I think a lot of potential that AR is going to sort of, you know, go much more mainstream. Mm. I think the commerce will be a big part of that. It's really interesting. We're um, in a fora at the moment, which is a luxury co-working space that I very much love that I have access to in London. But just around the corner, they have an Amazon one of five headquarters of London, which has a Amazon salon. And oh, AR yes. is one of the biggest things that you can see from the off that people are sort of, it's one of those wow moments when you've never had it before. You can sort of see the power of changing someone's hair that they can sort of see it and make a better decision. And I think that that's kind of an interesting one. I think TikTok and all these other apps that, you know, Amazon has AR now and all of that sort of stuff. I think they're really interesting, but they don't seem to be telling people how to use it or really help people. It's always like a tiny little icon tucked away in the side or see this in your own space. It doesn't really explain. So the people, who, I think you're right, the people who are not, who have been much better at pushing it are Snap. Um, snap yes, you know, don't get the sort of the headlines that TikTok get right now, but I you know, have a very good audience. They've grown their audience, they've grown their advertising base, they've made it easy to advertise. But they've really pushed they are and made it part of the fabric of that area. I think as AR comes forward, mm. they're going to do very well because people know that AR works really well from there. Spectacles don't quite work yet, but at some point they will. Yep. Um, and I think they're better positioned than most to actually take advantage of AR. Mm. Um, so I think you know, people forget about Snap a little bit, and I think you shouldn't do because its user base is very low. It does fantastic content in Discover. Yep. You know, it, it got did that short form video really early, and they've done some commerce examples as well from there. But they found what in the maps. They found ways of making AR less of it. All oh, that's exciting and more 
part of the experience and it's very useful. Mm. And people adopt things that are useful and say, you know, solve problems for them. Yeah. Snap to me, or I always describe them as the innovation hub for um, Silicon Valley that nobody really calls them that. But yes. they, like you say, they have a very loyal user base. They inspire you know. lots of people to copy them. Yes, know. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To ruthlessly copy, I think, in some yeah. circumstances. But yeah. um, back to China for a sec. China moves so fast, and their app use is completely different to ours because yeah. of the way that they're sort of made and that sort of thing. What behaviors do you think the mega apps will normalize uh, that the West will actually adopt? Well, I think before that, it was interesting. The regulators seem to, you know, regulation's a big issue over here. In the, in the, you talked about, you know, Amazon being uh, caught up in the French regulators, what's happening in the States, they said to GAPA. China, you know, pulled back Alibaba, the guy disappeared, and financial IPO was pulled the week before, yeah. DD IPO was pulled. The regulators there are regulating these companies really strictly. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting because we thought there's lots of interesting behaviors that come from there. You know, the idea they're going to expand into other markets, I think it's stopped. I think they're going to stay in China yeah. and be regulated from there. What we've seen is things like live streaming. But live streaming is actually, you know, the biggest guy that is Dr. Pomegranate. You know, they're selling quite cheap things, um, food, etc., from there. Right. We're trying to use it to sell like QVC and sell, you know, nice shoes. I think there's something lost in translation between the two. Yeah. But there's lots of behaviors that I think we can sort of learn from. But they've gone horizontal rather than vertical. You know, mm. that one company will do lots of different things. So it'll be ride sharing, it'll be financial services, etc. The financial services bit is an interesting thing. So you have things like Klarna emerging over here. So people don't use credit cards and debit cards in the same way. Yeah. They use you know, buy now, pay later. And you see in China that the ability to pay through apps has driven lots of innovation. And you sort of feel that with things like Revolut, it's that sort of the thing that, you know, the less interesting part, perhaps, but does that start to land more over here than um, we've seen so far? Yeah, I'm always surprised Amazon haven't really pushed their banking sort of side of it. They do it for small businesses, but not for individuals. It's sort of same with Apple um, Card and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Everything's coming, but it's not quite here yet, you know, and that sort of thing. Sort well, of. Apple have pushed on buy now, pay later with Goldman Sachs. You know, we know that if you put, if you introduce Apple Pay onto an app, you get a huge increase in conversion because it's so easy to buy from from there. Yeah. So it feels like, again, it's one of the things they'll get to on the list on the huge. Mm. Um, last sort of uh, question. We're on Twitter spaces, obviously. Um, Twitter's on a tear recently with tech monetization and, of course, audio spaces. Um, what's exciting you about Larry & Co? So Twitter, to me, I, I remember being at an um, event in the States about... 2009, and they're all making. It was, um, one of the big apps in the world. They're all making fun of Twitter. Mm. So, well, no, wait a minute. I can overhear what the smart people in the world are thinking with Twitter. Yeah. And I put them on a list. Yeah. I put them on a list. I follow one. And they, they didn't say what. They, if I think that's someone super smart, word, I work with Rory Sutherland. Yeah. So Rory gets little sort of snippets of genius all the time. He also said, "I'm going to get a sandwich out of them." you you have to <laughs> ignore the day-to-day sort of different complaints about. You hear bits of wisdom from the smart people in the world. You can curate who you want to hear from there. That's a fantastic thing. Yeah. If you want to learn about something, you search around on Twitter, follow some people, and you're getting the most valuable information in the world. So whether that's news, if you want to learn about something about e-commerce, you've got people who are you know, practicing these crafts and they're sharing their knowledge and wisdom from there. So it's a fantastic place to be. Mm-hmm. Not for everybody. You know, I don't use it all the time. But actually, as a tool for learning that stuff, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, you can find that to sport or to music or whatever, you can find people at the top of this game and learn from them. 
that is a remarkable thing to give them for free. Yeah, it's all about their interests, isn't it? Yeah. How serious do you think um, the big tech and the ad community are taking po uh, podcasts and audio spaces? Is it just a big money play, or um, is there like a bandwagon that they're jumping on for another reason? Um, I think the pandemic grew to a point we had lots more time to spend on different things, so audio has done really well from that. Yeah. Um, I think that you know the idea of walking around looking at your phone feels to me to be odd. What we're seeing is we think that Amazon Polly that I'll read an article. So one of the things I say about all my things in pocket and then listen to that. You know, so audio is a way of consuming thing, content on the phone makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, doing it in a jump when you're doing other things as well might allow you to multitask from there. So I think there's a lot of potential. The problem with the advertising is, you know, you listen to some guy, I this is sponsored by such and such, you know, and you know everyone's just hit that little button to go jump fifteen seconds further forward. Right. So how do you find a way of advertising that doesn't clumsily start and interrupt the content um, but still delivers? And I think we're starting to see people thinking about different formats from there. We're starting to see people try and measure the brand uplift effect of podcasts from there. Yeah. But it just feels clumsy right now. It's codes and things like that. The usual yeah. sort of attribution and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it sort of draws me up. We haven't really, we haven't talked about YouTube and that's something, that's something we should have talked about. Sorry. Um, but I always feel like, how bad do you make your product in order to get them to a subscription product? And I'd be like, ask YouTube. <laughs> you know, they're on the, they're on that, they're on that train, and that's sort the of thing. Yeah. But I, th I think Twitter's interesting because they're coming out with Twitter Blue and that sort of thing. And so I've I've gone through not just because of uh, mouthwash, but um, just recently of like, where do I get signal from? Yeah. Who's helping me? Twitter's always been there, I think, for me personally, but. They're not, they're not perfect network. They know that. They're working on it. But I've definitely seen over the last 18 months with the, them and the tech team and how they work a real sort of sea change for various reasons. Yes. Um, right. Okay, folks. This is normally the time where I would ask uh, the guest uh, for their Desert Island tweets, the part of Mouthwash, where guests pick a tweet or two that change their mind or way of thinking in some way. Um, so if you please turn your attention to the nest, Simon's very carefully, uh, very kindly rather, given me the option to um, pick today's um, tweet. Um, and I picked... Uh, of a live, um, what do you call it, space suborbital flight of um, Jeff Bezos, because we were talking about, um, what do you call it, big tech platforms today. Amazon was one. So he's on his way up 62 miles above the earth, and I'm sure Richard Branson is looking uh, on with, you know, nothing but hopeful eyes that they're safe and sound and secure and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so take a look at that. I'll be checking that out after we uh, end this conversation and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, future space there's lots of interesting things there for big platforms that they're working on as well but i think a good uh, sentiment and best wishes to jeff is a good place to leave the conversation on uh thank you for being part of mouthwash simon any final thoughts or for the listeners when it comes to the power of big tech i think there's an italian saying the Pareto principle 80 20 you know the big players are going to stay very big for some time from there and i think there's lots of space for small people to come and do things but what they do drives the weather drives the shape of our business you have to be really good at google amazon facebook and apple um so i get working and just you know keep an eye on what they're doing right okay okay uh, okay that was episode 11 of season two thank you for listening how do we do let me in the world know using the hashtag mouthwash show um i'm absolutely thrilled to have an amazing cohort of brains joining me for season two i've curated a bevy of smart folks from babylon health to beauty sex ceo charmadine reed up next is top business thinker dory clark uh, we also have be more pirates uh, author and uncertainty expert sam conniff and chandler t wilson who is an expert in artificial intelligence coming up he's ex-walmart hsbc and worked for a tiny organization called the eu uh the 
man knows where the power of AI is and what's possible. So make sure you don't miss that or any of the minutes coming by checking out mouthwashshow.com. Uh, you've got full details there, downloadable calendars and links to all previous episodes, which are now a beautiful podcast. Thanks to uh, the folks at Spotify, Apple Music and all other quality podcast platforms. Uh, once again, my thanks to the amazing Simon Andrews. Follow him on Twitter and subscribe to The Fix over at addictive.com, addictivelondon.com. No, addictive.com. AddictiveLondon.com. I was right. I wrote down the wrong one. Um, please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emojis for Simon as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining and thanks to the beautiful folks over at Ecology for planting a tree for every listener we get in season two. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter spaces. Thanks.